literally everywhere we were going, all of the press we were doing was like nine time Tony award winning Book of Mormon. And it was like, I, I didn't win any of those Tonys. I'm just here to do it. It wasn't, wasn't me. And Billy in St. Louis thinks that you did win the Tony for playing Elder Price. Exactly. And I won't correct him. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. We're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. I mean, they'll see it in the videos, but we both look like very serious podcasters today because we both had to wear our big obnoxious headphones. Yeah. I left my wired earbuds in the office and then I made Kevin put on the headphones so I didn't look like a freak. And I did it gladly. Um, Quincy, hi, Kevin. Hi, how are you? For better or worse, New York City is kind of like really popping right now. Did you get the gay cold after Pride? Yeah, I was kind of sick for like three weeks in a row. I just kind of, I think it was my body realizing that we're going to start ingesting germs again and sure, yeah, how to process all of that. Yeah. Guys, we promised you that we would talk about that trailer that was released for- the, Oh, for the Hamburg production. Yeah, the non-replica German production of Wicked. The trailer came out. Out, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Let me watch it. I did not realize it was going to like make such a splash online. I feel like everyone in on Broadway internet was talking about it. Yeah, definitely. I had so many people sending it to me, kind of egging me on to like talk shit about it, but I really like it. Okay, well, yeah. What, what are your thoughts? Because I don't think we've necessarily talked about it either. I don't know. I think it looks really cool. I think any kind of reimagined production of any show takes so much creativity. And so I think to like do such a drastic reimagining of the show while the main production is still running is like mm -hmm. bold and daring and cute. Well, that's interesting because I really don't think this is like a drastic reimagining of Wicked. I just think this is like, if you were handed the Wicked script in 2021, this is what the production would be. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to my point of, is Wicked dated? I feel like everything about Wicked Broadway makes it into this like epic musical. But I think that this design kind of leans into the fact that this is like an incredibly commercial, successful musical. It's not an Oklahoma revival or a Color Purple revival where it's like deliberately being mm -hmm. so different. I It really just feels like it's like a contemporary version of Wicked in the same way that like I'm sure when Phantom opened on Broadway, it was so crazy and cool to see that chandelier come down. Mm -hmm. And then you watch it in 2021 and it's like, okay. Yeah. I also think too that it's like this production, the design choices seems to be treating Wicked like its own story and not as a prequel to The Wizard of Oz. I wrote down in preparation for this conversation bullet <laughs> points and they read as follows. Fierro is hot. Yes. Green is weird. Yes. But I'm also colorblind. Sure. <laughs> Costumes, parentheses, Glinda, are tacky. <laughs> Flying is fierce. And it's actually not all the costumes because I think the Shiz costumes are pretty incredible. It's Glinda, I think, that really bothers me. I mean, the costumes look like School of Rock. Sure, Shiz does. Yeah, it does. One listener, I wish I could remember the name, said that it was interesting to see and that they were glad they saw this trailer because it gives them another reference point and way to envision Wicked mm -hmm. in preparation for the movie. Yeah. Which I will say, my gripe about the Wicked live action movie is that how do you do Defying Gravity live action without it looking stupid? Yeah. And seeing how they did the flying effect in this production of Wicked, I was like, oh, that actually works and looks fine and cool. <laughs> I think the most jarring difference is 
the wizard and Madame Marble. Were they in the trailer? There's like a shot of them. And you probably didn't realize because Madame Marble just looks like a high school principal. My two things that I wanted to see was Marble and Dillamond, how they did that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if Marble looks more normal, I don't necessarily understand Marble's whole look in Wicked the Musical. It's iconic and cute, and mm-hmm. but I don't understand like... Because uh, there's like no one else in the world that looks like that. Yeah. yeah. So it seems... It, it When you like actually think about it, it is a little random that Marble looks like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Overall, very excited. And it's funny because reading all of your responses on Instagram, it was like some of you loved it, some of you hated it. Hated it. Most of us were like... There's great things, and then there's some questionable things. I need to see more. It's a very divisive 30-second commercial. (laughs) And some of you are seeing it. So if you are one of those people who are actually seeing the production, please send us your thoughts. Please. Do you have anything else you want to say? We kind of have to move on to the resume. I do not. I would love to move on to the resume. Today we are talking to Mark Evans, um, continuing our theme of summer with actual scent men. Mark Evans began his career in 2006 on the West End, where he made his debut in the ensemble of Spamalot. Then in 2007, moved into our favorite show, Wicked, in the ensemble Understudying Fierro. And then in 2008, get ready to swoon because he was Troy Bolton in the original London stage production of High School Musical. Then he went out on the UK tour of the Rocky Horror Show as Brad Majors, another swoon. Then Mm. he went out in 2010, the UK tour as Curly in Oklahoma, yet another swoon. Another swoon. I mean, Quincy. And then (laughs) comes back to Wicked, boss move, as the principal Fierro. Another swoon. Opposite. Rachel Tucker and Louise Dearman. Pretty iconic time for Wicked West End. Very iconic. Very, very iconic. Then in 2012, he went into Ghost the Musical as Sam. One of my faves. Quincy's fave. Then in 2012, flew across the pond to join the U.S. tour of the Book of Mormon as Elder Price, which I saw him in in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He was very good. Did it for a long time. Did like, I think... Three six-month contracts. Then in 2016, did Finian's Rainbow off-Broadway at the Irish Rep here in Manhattan, Manhattan, New York. He says while he sits in Colorado. The Sentimental Men <laughs> mailing address is New York, New Sorry York. Sorry to trigger you. <laughs> in 2017, he went into The Play That Goes Wrong, which was his Broadway debut playing the director, and he did that for two years. Did you see that show, Quincy? No. That is an exhausting show to do for two years. Well, and then he went on, he's, he was like the director or associate director or something of the yeah. tour and the off-Broadway production yes. after a transfer. It's nutso. Then, in 2019, another Another credit close to the hearts of this podcast. He went into Waitress as Dr. Pometer, where he was opposite, I believe, Allison Luff and Jordan Sparks. I saw him in Allison Luff. It was quite a time. Then in 2019, literally like two weeks after he finished Waitress, he's in Seattle doing the pre-Broadway tryout of Mrs. Doubtfire. Also got married in between that time. Yes. And then bounced to do Doubtfire. Bounced to do Doubtfire, which I saw him in, which he stars opposite Jen Gambatiz, another other favorite mm-hmm. 2020 mere days before the shutdown um mark and the cast of mrs doubtfire began previews on broadway um where i believe they had like a week of previews and then the shutdown happened but they're coming back but they're coming back and mark is coming back with them and it's gonna be 
a gay time had by all. Can I give you my choices, options, and bootlegs? I Quincy, I would love it if you did. <laughs> the year is 2011. Quincy was, what, 15, 14? Obsessed with Ghost the Musical, which at this point, I believe, had only been on the West End. I don't think it had transferred yet. Okay. Mark Evans and Shabon Dylan mm-hmm. was announced to replace Casey Levy and Richard Fleischman in Ghost on the West End. Quincy in Hawaii was very aware that Mark Evans and Shabon Dylan were replacing Casey Levy and Richard Fleischman on the West End in Ghost the Musical. <laughs> then, I don't know why it happened, but it did. Mark and Shabon did a cover of that Gautier song, Somebody That I Used to Know, oh. that was everywhere at the time. <laughs> You could not tell a more 2011 story. Than that song was it at the time. Every across the floor I ever did in college was to that song. They released a cover of that song, music video cover. That was ghost themed in the sense where Mark was a ghost. It's a shirtless Mark Evans CGI ghost though. So like he's transparent at times going Are in they making out. pottery? While no, they're no, singing. No, no, no. So he's standing against a brick wall. This music video is going to be forever ingrained in my mind. So it's Mark Evans against a brick wall. Now and then I think of all the times you screwed me over. I think that's the girl's part, but you know what I'm saying. I got it. Singing this song. And Siobhan Dylan is stunning. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Has her hair in a pony, which Kevin, I've told you this. When I was in middle school, I told all my girlfriends. <laughs> because Glee was big at the time and Quinn Fabray, I thought was the epitome of like, Like all of us baby gays did. Yeah. Yeah. So I told all my girlfriends in middle school, if any of you are listening, that they only looked hot when they had their (laughs) hair up in a ponytail. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Shabon Dylan looking gorgeous, hair in a ponytail. Yeah. Um, And they sing a cover of this song and it's like kind of ghost themed. When you like Mm -hmm. think about the lyrics of the song and everything and the plot of ghost. Yeah. It works. And I just watched it in preparation for this episode. It has like 3 million views on YouTube. I was like, oh. I'll I'll watch it right after this. Oh, buckle up, Kevin. Mark Evans, hello and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to meet you guys. Our first Fiero. Yes. Stop it. Really? Yeah. I mean, just me and a load of witches. (laughs) So we begin every interview by asking, how did Wicked come into your life? Uh, A couple of friends of mine who, they both had, I was at college at the time, at Lane Goods Rots, just outside of London. And a couple of graduates, one of them had come back to kind of choreograph an end of summer show. And his boyfriend was our costume designer. So I started hanging out with the two of them a lot. And they were like, we were driving somewhere. And he said, have you heard the Broadway cast recording of Wicked. And I was like, no, what's that? (laughs) And he played The Wizard and I, and I lost my damn mind. Wow, it just sounded so exciting. And I, since then, or especially since owning a car, I think back to that moment, because I'm like, nothing sounds as good as when you play it through the speakers of a car, when it's Mm -hmm. like blasting around you. And so I just really appreciated that. It was The Wizard and I and Define Gravity. And we just, I just listened to it a bunch. And did you know who Adina and Kristen were at the time? No, I don't, to be honest, didn't even really know what Broadway was. I, was, I wasn't really raised to be a musical theater person. I wanted to be a pop star. I wanted to be, mm, in, be gotcha. in a boy band. 
And so when I went to musical theatre college, it's because one of the members of the pop group Steps went there. And I was like, well, he went there and Posh Spice went to this place. So <laughs> if I go there, maybe I should be, I could be in a pop group. Yeah. Um, and it was the only real college that I knew of, but it was a very musical theatre college. And I had trained as a dancer as well. And so when I went there, I was like, oh, musicals is what everybody does. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really, you know, YouTube wasn't really a thing back then. I'm 36. And so... You know, it was only really once I left and, you know, the first time I visited New York was in 2008, I think. Okay. And my first Broadway show was next to normal. And so just the idea of like this other land existing across the ocean didn't really come on my radar. But once I knew what Broadway was, I was like, I want to be there. <laughs> Do you didn't want to pursue a West End career? Once I was at that college. Yes. Yeah, I really did. Um, And that's, you know, it was what most people were doing, graduating from the college and going to work in musical theatre with the goal of getting to the West End. And so, yeah, that was definitely my goal. And at that point, were you thinking of yourself kind of in that principal actor lane or were you thinking like you're a dancer who sings a singer who dances like i'm just a hustler i was like i just want to work i just i want the validation of getting employment yeah (laughs) basically sure i think as a young gay boy from the hills of wales thinking (laughs) like oh i'm different from everybody else i wanted to get the reassurance of like oh i made the right choice right and then once i started you know doing well at auditions and you know you can be the big fish in a small pond of your college but not really i I didn't really have a clue where I fit in the industry with regards to the standard of other people. And once I started getting, you know, callbacks and booking some jobs, I was like, oh, I I think I'm actually quite good. And (laughs) then I really, I was, my first job was the national tour of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Mm -hmm. Then my next job was the original West End cast of Spamalot as a swing. And I remember sitting in the way, I loved that job. Um, some of my closest friends I met on that job back in 2006. And did you enjoy swinging? I loved it, but it wasn't the challenge. I, th- I wanted to be a swing at least once with the idea that like, I wanted to take on that challenge of you know, split tracking and tonight you're on for a girl track. or that's. And because Spamalot doesn't really work to have a boy ensemble member down because it's so male heavy mm-hmm. that they just had ample coverage. There was three three swings, three male swings to cover six boy ensembles. So I actually oh, wow. only went on for three of my six covers in the whole year. Um, oh, wow. So that's why I have such great friends from that. They're all the swings because we used to play like hallway Olympics and stuff <laughs> when we were uh, <laughs> when we were not on stage. Okay, so then walk us through when you went into audition for Wicked the first time. So yeah, I was in Spamalot at the time and I remember then thinking like, I just want more responsibility. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was valued as part of the company, but I also knew that I, w- I could be replaced pretty easily with regards to mm-hmm. the, what I was required to do at Spamalot. And so I didn't know whether I wanted to go more towards sort of the, the director, choreographer, dance captain route, or if mm-hmm. I wanted to go more towards playing roles. Because did the creative of it all also interest you? Yeah, yeah, I loved, loved that. And so that's another example of like, I had no idea what type of career I wanted. I didn't ever give myself permission to be that specific. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, I just, just want to work, I guess. And so once I actually, I was then um, asked to audition for Wicked and I did two or three auditions for the ensemble to cover Fiero. And one of my best times dancing was being in the dance call for Wicked and 
doing the the monkey dance that we do in the audition. I have no idea whether they still do that. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's so physical. And I remember Wayne Salento saying to me, he was like, you can move for a big guy because I'm 6'2". Right. And sure. like doing like the, the, the monkey stuff is really physical. Yeah, that's meant for little people. Yeah, exactly. I was so disappointed once I got cast in it. But like, no, you're far too big to be a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so I never got to do it. But like that, again, because I, I trained as a dancer as well, they didn't really know where to slot me in the cast. Mm-hmm. Like I was the first ever dancer ensemble, apparently. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who me just bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I was apparently the first ever male dancer ensemble to also cover Fiero. Oh, wow. Because they have a big enough ensemble to have like dancer tracks and singer tracks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted me to be in the dancer ensemble. So I was the lover. Have another drink. That guy. Oh, so, cool. Um, but also covered Fiero. I was going to say, ensemble must be tricky for you because you're so tall. Yeah. I think that's also why I only went on for half of my tracks in Spamalot because I was too tall to do a lot of the stuff. Sure, sure. <laughs> as destined to be a leading man. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, truly. (laughs) Genetically destined. So from the beginning, you knew that it was Ensemble slash Fiero Understudy. Yeah. So in the UK, they have, um, it's in your contract that you're either the first cover or the second cover. Mm. So there's no like, oh, we'll alternate and whoever's on vacation will take it in turns or split weeks like they do over here. And so I was the second cover. So in my, I think it was 11 and a half, maybe 12 month contract of Wicked, I got to play Fiero once. Oh my God. And it was really? that one performance. And I fell off the fucking ladder. Like in Dancing Through Life. It was like, what was happening? Whoa. <laughs> and I heard my friends who had, I'd invited laughing in the audience. Oh, so supportive. Oh my God. Did you have a heads up that you were going on? Yeah, a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. A few hours. Okay. Two of my best friends now, Ashley Gray, who was the understudy for Elphaba and later went on to play Elphaba, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, and Caroline Keefe, who was Anessa and Glinda cover. We were the three. We joined the show at the same time. Caroline was already there, but the three of us were in understudy rehearsals together. Mm-hmm. So they like graciously came in to run lines with me. I knew them. They just wanted to get excited for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so going on, it was... The one thing I remember, and I honestly felt this, um, because three years later I went back to play the role, Mm -hmm. but I honestly felt this every night, is that Fierro has no control over his first entrance because he gets pulled on on that little rickshaw. So it's not as if, like, you're making an entrance, like, in Waitress, I walk on as the doctor through the door, and I'm in control of making my entrance. So you can, like... And I just remember that first time being put on as the understudy in Wicked being like, Am I on stage yet? Because I'm sleeping, yeah, yeah. sleeping on this um, yeah. rickshaw and I just get pulled on and all of a sudden I hear like... <laughs> I remember Carrie Ellis was the alphabet there at the time because mm-hmm. I was in the second cast. So she'd taken over from Medina. And I remember saying on the phone call when I was told that was on that night, I was like, who's alphabet? And they were like, well, Carrie's out. And Carrie's a friend of mine. I was like, oh, I really wanted to do yeah. that. But CJ, Cassidy Jansen, who is now oh, yeah. in Julia, uh-huh. superstar. She's so good. Um, she was she was my alphabet. She was my first ever green oh, girl. And she was so kind and supportive. And we had a really good time. How far into your run was that? I had kind of, I think, I was surprised that I was going on. So it was at least in the last quarter or the last third of my year contract. Because yeah. um, I had convinced you, you know, they create the coverage system that way in order to make sure there's enough coverage for the show. Right. So it's unlikely a lot of the times that the second or third covers will end up going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there might have been another opportunity for me to 
to go on, but I think I'd called out to go somewhere. <laughs> just so not like me. Um, I was like, I have an ear infection. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. So maybe missed a trick there. Were you kind of chomping at the bit to go on at that point or had you been like, it's not going to happen in this contract? I really, I really, really wanted to. I wanted to experience that theater is pretty glorious. It's a 2,500 seater. I wanted it was still part of my exploration of what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to play roles or whether I wanted to go down the creative route. And it was that night that going on for Fiero, I remember calling my agent the next day and being like, I really want to focus more on the acting side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And very soon after that, actually, my first audition after that was for the London production of High School Musical, um, which I auditioned for, and that was my first lead role. I mean, Baptism by Fire. I was like, oh gosh, now I'm leading the company. And it was it was awesome. And I'm so grateful that I, that sort of sequence happened to give me the confidence. Yeah. Also started your love affair with American parts. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and probably having a very questionable American accent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> When you're there, when you're brought over to America to play an American role, that's when you're like, oh shit, I'm not as good as I thought. Yeah. I was. <laughs> yeah. And since going back to like living in America and going back to the UK and watching American musicals in the UK, I'm like, oh gosh, you need, you guys need to tighten things up a little. It bit. is a different like sound. Yeah, yeah. That's what Carrie Ellis was saying. She was like, yeah, I thought I had a great American accent until I went into rehearsals for Broadway, and they were like, yeah. this is not it. <laughs> I will say once, so, you know, I've been connected to Wicked for a long time now because that, you know, I was first in the show in 2006, 2007, and then went back a few years later. So when I was playing Fiero, Rachel Tucker was at my alphabet and Louise Diamond was my Glinda. Mm-hmm. And then I'd been in the show for like two, four years by that point. I was like, oh, I, think, I think I'm done with Wicked now. Uh, meaning like, I don't think I even need to see it again. I was just tired, <laughs> tired of it. Yeah. And then when Louise told me that she was going back as Alphabet. I was like, well, shit, I need to, have now to, I need to go see, see it. Yeah. <laughs> just phenomenal. And then that really was the last time because I was literally mouthing the words with everyone, yeah. even like Bach and <laughs> Chistery, oh his half a line he had. But then when Rachel was brought over to do it over here, I went to see it again then. And I always admired Rachel's performance when I was working opposite her. Mm-hmm. And I never thought she'd be able to get any better. Vocally, she is phenomenal. The strength mm-hmm. she has, the acting chops. But holy shitballs, did she blow me away in the Broadway production. Yeah. It was such a strong company. Really, really mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and I think she elevated her performance to the next level. Mm-hmm. And she was obviously doing it with an American dialect. So she just got a little more nuanced with things. It was really impressive. Uh, like, yeah. That was the first time that I was like, oh, I want to be your Fiero. Yeah. <laughs> just, maybe just for eight shows. Yeah. Emergency <laughs> replacement. Just for a week. <laughs> but when you left the show the first time, did you feel that way? Or was it kind of still on your back burner that you might come back? My British agent knew that it was on my bucket list to go back and play the role. Okay. To kind of come full circle and feel like I was able to claim ownership over it. Because understudying and swinging in a show, they have the most respect mm-hmm. from me because it's really, really tough to be able to step up and deliver a leading performance when you don't feel like you fully claim ownership over the role. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. you're being directed in a way that like, okay, well, at night, this is what happens, meaning what the actual principal cast do is this. And so there's not much artistic license to put your own stamp on it. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to go back and feel like I was Fiero. It was mine. And I really did feel for the whole time that... By the time I finished, I was like, okay, I'm done. 
because I felt like I'd sort of like rinsed out everything I could from that role. Mm-hmm. Now that's mm-hmm. kind of a naive statement because you're always learning. And if I went to back to do it now, I'm a little too old for it. But like <laughs> I would find new stuff now, mm-hmm. of course. But there's not too much substance in the script to get out, you know. Right. Yeah, for longer than a year as Fiero, from my from my standpoint, being honest. Well, so that's an interesting point because you've played a lot of leading men, and Fiero is the technical leading man of Wicked. But I do think it's an interesting leading man. The associate director, or the resident director, that's her title in the UK, told me while I was in the show that casting Fiero, it's the hardest role for men to cast mm. because. Mm. It's very specific. The show is about the women, yet you need a leading man to come in to take on the responsibilities of Fiero. He needs to be able to sing only two songs, but they're challenging songs. Mm-hmm. You need to have a high turner range and you need to be able to navigate like as long as your mind flipping up to like the high Oof. notes and stuff. It's yeah. tricky. Mm-hmm. Not not everyone can do it. And you need to be able to move. You need to be able to like put Wayne Salento's sexy, cool choreography and make it look like you're the one that's affecting everybody else and dancing through life and making them do. <laughs> I hope people right. are going to actually see this because no, I'm moving that. around in my chair <laughs> like I'm cool. Um, and so I remember her saying like, the people who are the right casting type for Elphaba, they show up in droves because they know that this is a career-making opportunity for them. Same with Glinda. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other supporting roles are easier to cast because there's there's not as much of um a requirement mm-hmm. i guess um, mm-hmm. and i remember her saying that it's like it's really tricky to find a leading man who's willing to not be the lead of the show so to rewind a little bit when you took over as fiero on the west end what was that process like did you have to go back in an audition was it like a they just asked you to come back what was it i did go back into audition actually um i was touring with oklahoma and they just asked to come in and I think I had to do the full whole shebang again. Really? I sang through. So you sing through as long as your mind from, it's a cut. Yeah. So from maybe I'm brainless through like one chorus. It's like a bridged chorus. Sure. Of, mm-hmm. So they, they span the vocal range and then dancing through life from let's go down to the Oscars ballroom. Mm-hmm. And then it goes through to some, like basically just before the dance break happens. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're two short snippets. And then the scene work is the cub scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Careful, don't shake him. I'm not. Um, and the scene top of act two with Glinda um, do you hear that? Water will melt her. These people are so stupid, they'll believe anything. Yeah. I think those are the only two scenes. So yeah, I already knew the stuff. Right. And I was like, yeah, I'll come in and audition. And I think I did one or two. And then was told that I'd booked it, but there was a clash with scheduling and that sort of stuff. And I still hadn't gotten to that place. You know, this I played three major roles at this point, but I still didn't think, I was like, oh God, I... I'm not available for the first couple of weeks of rehearsal. They're going to replace me. Oh, right? Right. Like, no, we can work around that. <laughs> so ultimately I was recording, I was filming, because uh, I speak Welsh. I went to a Welsh speaking mm-hmm. school um, and I was filming um, 52 episodes of a Welsh kids TV show. Oh my God. Um, and that basically, so basically what they did with Wicked, that was running, I finished filming on the Saturday and I needed to open in Wicked on the Monday. Oh. And so what they did was they rehearsed me 
three months prior with the cast that was there just as a little refresher and they were like <laughs> okay you remember this stuff yeah um fortunately louise and rachel were already in the show and they were going to stay on for another contract so gotcha. i got to rehearse with them three months before going into the show i see the sense of humor that louise dearman and rachel tucker have <laughs> they're naughty they're <laughs> mischievous i'm not the type of person that fools around on stage or anything but with them like just a glint in an eye is enough to push you over the edge and just that's your friend with mm-hmm. a green face. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember singing As Long As You're Mine and um, looking down, you know, it's so passionate and you're on your knees and you're surrounded by dry ice and it's such a cool moment and I really loved that moment. I remember looking at Rachel and singing at her face and looking down and holding her hands and just seeing the nastiest chipped nail polish <laughs> on her fingernails. <laughs> And I just, that's a perfect example of me coming out, just looking at her nails, holding my gaze on her nails a little too long, looking up at her like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and she'd be the type of person, because obviously like the, the witches in the show are so busy. Right. Yeah. There's not, there's maybe a couple of moments you see them backstage and she'd always, Rachel would often come up and like, I'd be there in the wing ready to like grab her hand when she's running from underneath the stage to go on for as long as you mind. Her dresser would be there with water and whatever. And she'd be like, I'm so sorry, babe, I've had cheese and onion crisps as we're walking on stage because she knows that we're about to kiss and her breath stinks. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, at least you taste the way you look. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And do you feel like doing it full-time on the West End kind of started a new era of your career or like launched you into a new era of your career? Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, I'd done High School Musical. That was a a nine-week gig in the summer at the Hammersmith Apollo. And so it was considered like the London debut, the original London cast, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily a West End theatre. And so this was my first lead role in the West End that I actually was, you know, billed as starring in in the role. So it definitely did give me a lot of a lot of confidence. There was something so wonderful about coming full circle and being like, okay, cool. I went away, did a couple of tours, did a couple of smaller roles. I I worked my ass off to feel like I can I myself can call myself a leading man. But that can't be taught. That needs to come from someone giving you a break. You need to get an opportunity so that you can learn on the job what it means to be a leading man. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just the person who says the most and sings the most and maybe dances the most. It's someone who like is respected and someone that leads the company. Perfect example of this is in the Mrs. Doubtfire cast, which is what I was doing when the shutdown happened Mm -hmm. and we'll be going back to Rob McClure as our leading man. There's no one like him. Mm-hmm. The UK does their contracts in a different way where it's like you're all brought in together. It's for a long, it's for a year typically, right? And then you all change over together. Now that you've done UK contracts and US contracts, do you have a preference on how it works? You said you interviewed Kerry, right? Mm-hmm. Kerry yeah. Ellis? Yeah. So that's something that she and I have spoken about. When she came over to do the show on Broadway, she probably mentioned this, that like, there would be a new ensemble member that just showed up on the, you know, on the Tuesday mm-hmm. and she didn't realize that it was their last performance on the Sunday. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not to that extreme, but what I love about the way that it's done in the UK is that you sign on for the duration where it's usually a year. And a few months before that, when it gets to cast change period, you if you're invited to stay, which the majority of people are, because it's 
cheaper for them to just keep people on unless you've been an asshole or you're unprofessional they're going to ask you to stay but you also have the the option to leave but if you're signing on you're signing on for another year Mm -hmm. and so that's when I was like I'm done I'm not going to stay for a third year of my career doing this Um, so there's no outs in contracts things have slightly started to change now Um, I think principals can maybe get things in their contracts that like if this movie that is potentially going to happen happens you have to let me out Yeah. but no it's very much a community it really feels like a family so you start on february 1st and you all start rehearsals for usually four weeks and then you you know if the show is already running they will be kissing goodbye to maybe a third of their cast on a saturday night and then on monday mm-hmm. we'll have a run through with a new cast and you know very quickly new friendships and relationships bond um and happen and then you're the new family that's going to represent the, and telling the story for the next contract what I found, the first job that I was brought over to, uh, to the U.S. to do was the National Tour of Book of Mormon. It's like, mm-hmm. woof, what a first U.S. job to have. Oh, yeah. Oh. I've been in therapy for seven years because of it. <laughs> 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 um, it was incredible, but the pressure was a lot. Sure. Uh, yeah, I was brought over, but it was very early in the tour. The um, first National Tour, I'd only played a couple of weeks in Denver, and then they did L.A., the Pantages, and then... Chris O'Neill and I joined in San Francisco to replace Gavin Creel and Jared Gertner, who were going to London. So we did like mm-hmm. an exchange. Got so it. fortunately, I joined the full original touring cast of the Book of Mormon. And it was the full touring cast. We joined in late December, early January. And I think the first ensemble people started to re- leave around May. Mm-hmm. And that five months was precious. I felt mm. so welcomed into that family the producers took such great care of us in that show and then one by one the show just started to shift the family started to shift a little bit and I felt for the people coming in because depending on their personalities they can't possibly get what we've had for the months leading up to that and so not as far as talent is concerned just as far as like relationship and bonding is concerned I feel like it it gets a little more diluted in the U.S. by but from an actor's standpoint, from a career standpoint, I love the fact that if I have outs in my contract, I'm not contractually bound to be somewhere where if I book something else, I can leave. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it really is, um, it works better for the actors as far as career is concerned, but I think it works better for the company and for the show to have long-running contracts. To an outsider's perspective, it sounds so much nicer to like go on a full year's journey with a group of people because like you're saying, it's like if, you know, a random ensemble member leaves and a new person comes in, they can plug into the track on stage, no problem, but they can't plug into the emotional track that that human being filled backstage. Yeah. The emotional track. Yeah, I'm stealing that. (laughs) People come and see a show and they just see what's happening on stage. The reason that I love what I do is because of what, yes, what happens on stage and the, the connection you have with the audience but we're all a bunch of weirdos, right? And we're like, we found a tribe and we fit in in the theatrical community because we all just, there's just something that really feels like a family about it. And that is so, so special. And you can't put a price on that. Another thing to point out that is different different with the UK and the US is in the UK, there's a mandatory physical and vocal warm-up for the full cast before the show starts. Really? So say, for example, there's a 7.30 curtain, which is most when most shows start in the UK. You'll probably have a, like a 6 p.m. Um, warm-up. So you, you're on stage doing a 10-minute physical, 
this is generally speaking, 10 minute physical, then a 10 minute vocal warm up with the music director. And then there's usually 15 to 20 minutes um, of stage time for the um, company manager to come out and give any notices like, oh, Brad Pitt's coming to watch the show. <laughs> 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 um, and then if any of the swings or understudies are on and they need to run lifts or go through um, blocking or something, there's time on stage to do that so that everyone feels prepared. But all of that technical stuff aside, it's an opportunity to see each other. I mean, it's an added, when you think about it, if that's happening for the six days that you're working, it's an added, you know, six hours of work in yeah. your work week. But I remember, for example, Book of Moments, since it was my f the first show I did over here, the Ugandan ensemble don't come on until, you know, 20 minutes into the show mm -hmm. when they come on for Hasidi Ibowai. And then yeah. I'd be on stage running around doing costume changes and whatever. And it'd be towards the end of Act One when I remember saying to Marisha Wallace, hi, babe, how was your day? And we've almost finished Act One because yeah. I, you know, and there'd be times where she's, she's on stage going like, fuck you, God, in the ass. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, but I can see in her eyes that she's basically saying like, hi, how was yeah. your day? Because <laughs> that's when I see her for the first time. Right. And so, yes, it's added hours in the workday, but I love getting to see the company on stage and the company warm-ups. It feels like the West End still has kind of a heart and Broadway is kind of like business. There is no preference, really. Mm -hmm. As far as salary is concerned, American people get paid much closer to what they deserve to be paid. Mm -hmm. In the UK, everyone is underpaid. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. some people on, you know, star wages will get a good salary, but... When I was in Wicked, uh, in the ensemble, I was earning a little over 500 pounds a week. Wow. So at the time with the exchange rate, about $700. Uh -huh. And if there are a lot of young people who wow. you know, are still in school, that, that, that to their ears, it probably sounds like $700, <laughs> like 500 pounds, that's a lot of money. Um, no. But in uh, one of the most expensive cities in the world, you know, and I think I had an additional 50 pounds a week to cover Fierro. Mm -hmm. And so... I was able to pay my rent and I was able to pay for transportation and maybe a night out a week or a little yeah. hint of a social life. But I was working full time as a dance teacher and a, and a, a music theater teacher for the whole contract I was in Wicked because wow. I knew that I wanted oh, wow. more. I wanted to be able to buy a house. I wanted to be able to save some money, not just survive. Mm -hmm. So like career wise as an actor, would you say that transitioning to American professional theater was beneficial for you career wise? Yeah, absolutely. And not career wise. I mean, I'm talking to you from my house in New Jersey that I live in with my husband who is American. Yeah. Like it transformed my life. I had no idea when I said yes with absolute, you know, fear of failing, yeah. mm -hmm. then I would come over and it would change my life for the better in the way that it has. So when you were in the UK, you hadn't thought, maybe I'll move to America? The first time I, so um, it, I was between jobs. I did the national tour of Rocky Horror Show and um, then did Oklahoma. I strategically made it so that I'd have a week off between the two tours mm -hmm. um, so that I could go to New York for the first time because I'd heard about this place called Broadway. <laughs> um, no, I was, I was much more invested in it and... Um, wanted to go explore and my best friend Becca Falconbury we did High School Musical together in London that's how we met and she came over because she was she has a US passport and a British passport she's just one of those lucky bitches <laughs> um, and so she was like I'm going to go to New York and for six weeks and see if I can make it. <laughs> she had just come over for that six week stint, maybe a week prior. So I knew that she was here. But other than that, I was just here by myself and she was busy going to auditions and whatever. And so I mostly spent the week alone and I fell 
hard for New York City. I fell in love. This It was just incredible. And I said, I went back to the UK and I said to my agent, I want experience living and working in New York. And that was three years, I think, before. I thought I'd end up coming over to maybe transfer with a play that I was doing for three months yeah. or something. That's all I wanted. Right. <laughs> I don't want to live here and get married here. Um, <laughs> and so that was a goal of mine. And I was auditioning to do Book of Mormon in the original West End cast and mm. actually booked that, booked that, but they couldn't find an Elder Cunningham to join me. So it kind of were like, was like elongated for three months. And that's when they were like, we have a solution. We found a guy, but he's American. So we're going to have to do a switch somehow. So because um. we know that we have a great con- uh, chemistry and uh, duo with Jared Gertner and Gavin Crew on the tour, we're going to bring them over to open because it feels like a more secure, sure bet that they're going to be good at it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to bring you over to replace them. And I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> because I was just terrified. I was like, I don't think I'm good enough for this. Yeah. Because um, Elder Price is referred to as like the alphabet for male parts. Yeah. And I was I was auditioning for it whilst playing Sam Wheat in Ghost, which is another mm-hmm. vocally demanding role. Like I I was fortunate enough to literally from that Rocky Horror Show tour not even have a week off between jobs. Mm-hmm. And I was burned the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Working. I know. Now I'm like, can I make any, any audition? <laughs> um <laughs> But like, I think because I I got vocally really tired and fatigued in general playing Mm -hmm. Sam in Ghost because he doesn't sing an awful lot. There's no like big show stopping numbers for him, but there's screaming and high singing and just never leaving the stage. It was doing a lot. Yeah. And so being in that place, thinking about like mostly Mary, all of that stuff. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. Yeah. Um, then when you know they made it an offer i couldn't refuse i was like oh i'm (laughs) having to come over and i was terrified and it really took me i had a lot of stage fright and a lot of vocal anxiety also five show weekends are the devil (laughs) like that's that doesn't exist in the uk and it should never exist anywhere especially Um, not of that show (laughs) yeah i opened on a friday night then did two saturday two sunday oh my god i was like wait (laughs) There's a matinee tomorrow at one o'clock on a Sunday. <laughs> it was just brutal. And every week, it was basically for the first couple of months, I felt like I just need to get through this show. I just need to get through this show. And I eventually built my stamina. And I was in the show, I was in Mormon long enough to be able to sing that even when I couldn't speak outside of the show. Mm-hmm. Really? 24-7, literally going to Starbucks, writing down my order because I was like advised not to speak and I was too afraid to speak right. in wow. case I couldn't perform that night. Wow. That's kind of like verbatim what a lot of alphabets say about playing alphabet. Yeah. yeah. And I remember I was in Boston and I went to see a vocal specialist who's operated on Adele and Steven Tyler and I was having weekly FaceTime and Skype voice lessons with Les Kaplan who is mm-hmm. the best at what she does taking mm-hmm. such great care of me. And I remember feel I cried when I went to see the specialist in Boston because he said he made it so normal like he just said oh yeah the alphabets are always you know struggling because it's an unrealistic request it's an unrealistic Mm -hmm. demand to ask anyone to do that insane and yet it happens and we keep having to say yes because if that's what we are is required of us to do the jobs then that's what we just have to say yes to and the physical and vocal toll it takes on you is exhausting but the the mental toll it takes on you 
if I like I have to seriously consider auditioning for certain things that are like a massive thing. I auditioned really? for Miss Saigon when it was um, coming to Broadway and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is my favorite show. I w- would love to do it, but I know this is going to be hell for me. And I do believe that I now have the support system around me to be able to take on big roles like that again. Mm-hmm. Touring with a role like that is really hard. Mm-hmm. I have therapists, I have doctors, I have a husband, I have an agent, I have like acting teachers that like yeah. I feel like I would be s- supported enough. Because do you think that added to it in like Mormon when you had just moved across the country? So like your whole life was kind of all over the place. And now that you're yeah. settled and like... Yeah, absolutely. The only people I knew were the people I was living with, I was touring with and therefore like living with. And it was, I just, it was a, it was a big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I said, I'm so grateful and it was life changing, but I didn't appreciate, I wish I'd have had a therapist during it. I think I could have actually had a better experience doing it. Mm -hmm. The first year was amazing. The last six months were tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'd only ever visited New York, as I said before that. And when I finished, I'd been to 26 states and 36 cities. Like wow. I've traveled the U.S. so much more than I have in Europe. It's more states than I've been to. It's more states than most people have been to. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about Doubtfire for a second? Yeah, please. Can you describe the show? Because you had like a week of previews before the shutdown. Three preview performances. <laughs> Three previews. <laughs> so describe the show to listeners and what they can expect. Yeah, so it's based on the movie Mrs. Doubtfire, um, which is almost 30 years old now. So rightfully so, they're setting it in the present day. Um, It's not a story about a man dressing as a woman. It's a story about a father going to any length he needs to go to to be with his kids. Mm -hmm. We're coming back and the story is more necessary now than ever Mm because it's a story about love and being together and doing anything you can to not be separated from each other. It's really, really awesome. And the great thing about our show is that, like, I sound like I'm trying to sell it to you. I'm not. Um, The great thing is that, like, it really is a show for all ages. Mm -hmm. Well, it feels like, like the humor of it all appeals to the younger demographic, but then the themes and the, all the divorce stuff and trying to salvage your family is very mature. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's so relatable because Apparently, the statistic is somewhere around 50% of all marriages in America end in divorce. (laughs) Now, those are the ones that end in divorce. Think of all of the unhappy people that don't get divorced. Right. And so marriage is hard. Like, it's wonderful, but it's, it's tough. And relationships are tough. Being a parent is tough. And so, like, just watching these people figure their shit out um, and, you know, just... The story itself, like the movie is really touching. Mm-hmm. But when you put that to, when you put, you know, the reason that you go into a song is because words aren't enough. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about love and family and heartbreak and desperation, they're all ingredients that just lend themselves to be sung. And when the mm-hmm. music is good, then it's just a recipe for what I hope will be a big success. Yeah, I think it will. I think so. (laughs) Mark, this has been so much fun. Before we go, we have this shtick with every alphabet that we interview, and we ask them if they're uh, Wizard and I, Defying Gravity, or No Good Deed alphabet. And then when we started working in Glinda's, we would ask them if they were a Norn Warns the Wicked, (laughs) popular, or thank goodness Glinda. And with our fellow sent men guests, we ask one, are you an alphabet enthusiast or Glinda gal? And then you have to answer the question based on which path you go down. Um, friends aside, I'm an alphabet girl. Sure. And which of the th- big an, three? An alphabet enthusiast. Okay. 
The Wizard and I, I love because as Fiero, I would listen from my dressing room and I'd be able to tell what kind of an alpha show it was going to be that night. Sure. <laughs> like, oh shit, they're in for a trip. <laughs> uh, and I'd be like, oh, there's others when I'm like, come on, baby, you can do it. That's what we had Danny Quadrino on and he was a Bach and he was like, you could always tell how it was going to go based on Wizard That's and I. Good. If they opt up, it's I a good night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Things I'm never. Okay, okay. Um, Define Gravity, I loved more from the ensemble perspective because I was one of the guards that comes on and like, there she is, oh, get her. Oh, cool. Stuff. So then like you're laying on the stage underneath her as she's screlting. Did you ever have a no-fly show where you had to like get down on the ground? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you want to hear vocal options, I mean, I'm sure it's all over YouTube, yeah. but that's when they go in with a singer. Yeah. <laughs> they basically make up for the lack of flying with their vocal choices. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's thrilling yeah but i think ultimately as musically no good deed is is like my favorite probably i love that because there's such a journey and there's the, those moments when they're like ever again mm-hmm. all of that so it's like oh that's exciting yeah. and i just think it's lit beautifully the lighting in the show is phenomenal mm-hmm. um so yeah for the sake of giving you an answer, I know I mentioned all three, but I'm going to say no good deed. <laughs> I know I just <laughs> praised yeah, all three right. songs. <laughs> yeah. That's well, amazing. Mark, where can people find you online? I am on social media at Mark Evans Actor on all platforms. Amazing. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been so fun. Oh, you guys, this was so fun. And also, I don't think about it. It was, you know, being in the show was a long time ago for me now. It's over 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's been nice sort of like taking a trip down memory lane and thinking oh. about it for the last hour. So thank you. Good. <laughs> that was a delightful conversation. Quincy, that's though. the perfect word for it. Well, okay. So I really loved jumping into it, I guess. Yeah. I really loved that we were able to talk about his Book of Mormon experience. Mm-hmm through kind of like the lens of Wicked and Alphabub. It was nice that we got to talk to him about a role that is like an equivalent to Alphaba. Like with Elder Price, it's like you're never off stage. You sing like 17, 11 o'clock numbers. And it was like very like almost eerie how similar him talking about his experience doing Elder Price was to the ladies who have talked about their experience doing Alphaba. Yeah, I it was a little... Eerie. Like sometimes he would say things that were like verbatim. Um, another thing I thought was interesting was the West End versus Broadway comparison. Yeah. Because I do think they are like, yes, the West End is the Broadway equivalent in the UK, but I do think industry wise, it is like very, very different. In what way? It's like a community. It's not like this is a business we're trying to make money and milk the show for everything it's worth. Right. You know? Well, I'm sure they are. But in a way, they almost take better emotional care of their actors. Maybe Mm -hmm. even better physical care, you could make the argument. But in terms of, like Mark was saying, in the terms of like the financial benefit of being on the West End, maybe they're a little behind. I just think Mark Evans' career is like really interesting and admirable because... yeah he like fully was like a West End actor and was like, no, I'm going to move to America and then made his Broadway debut in a play after being a quote unquote musical theater man. Yeah. Which I think connection speaks to how when he was talking in the beginning about like, he was like, I, I just know I wanted to be in the industry. I didn't know what that was going to look like mm-hmm. or like if it was going to be actor or director or dance captain or whatever. I think that speaks to it where like, yeah, he got to America and then he made his Broadway debut in a play. Right. You know? Right. I'm sure you can relate to what I'm about to say. 
I never like okay. look at a man in musical theater and I'm like, yes, I stand. But when I was looking at Mark's yeah. career, I was like, oh bitch, like he works all the time. Kind of going back to what you just said is it's like he had this whole career where he was like a West End actor and now he has established himself as like a Broadway actor. In the same vein where like when Wicked was first happening on the West End, he didn't really know who Adina or Kristen was. Mm -hmm. It's like... It's not like Mark Evans was an established theater name in America, no, you know, no. when he came. But now I think... To non-wicked stand. Right, right, right. <laughs> but now I think that, like, pe people know who he is because he's... For sure. He's around and he's busy. He is all over the place. Yes. Kevin. Yes, Quincy. I am chomping at the bit for you to give me a stuck on S.J. She's back from Africa. She's back, and there was a giant fucking Tony Award waiting for her. <laughs> okay, so for today's Stuck on SJB, we are going to take a trip to Indianapolis in 2011. Why? Because in 2011, Stephanie Jeanette Block headlined the Do You Hear the People Sing concert at the Indianapolis. <gasps> Wait, this Symphony was one of mine, Orchestra. Kevin. Well, then you should have volunteered to do the Stuck on SJB today. I didn't think you'd find this. You didn't think I would find Stephanie J. Block singing I Dreamed a Dream? Come on, Quincy. Oh, this is not what I was talking about. Oh, were you going to do Master of the House? Master of the House. <laughs> As I said. Stephanie J. Block singing I Dreamed a Dream with Leia Salonga. First of all, what musical can they do together? Because that is like a War paint. Can I hijack <gasps> your stuff in SJB for a second? Oh my God, please do. Yes, they should do War Paint together and not right now. But I was talking to a friend last night. Mm -hmm. We were talking about Ariana and Taylor and how Ariana Grande and Taylor Swift, mm -hmm. for those who aren't familiar, and how they. <laughs> they don't really exist in the same universe. And I think it's because of Scooter Braun and Ariana is represented by Scooter and Taylor hates Scooter, blah, blah, blah. But someone like jokingly was like, oh, they should do war paint <laughs> one day. <laughs> and I was like, wait, my life's goal now is to produce when we're old, yeah. produce war paint, <laughs> three month contracts with faded pop stars who were like peers in their heyday. Amazing. I love that. Like a Britney and Christina in war paint. I love that. Did I ever tell you my pipe dream that's like that? Is to do a production of Gypsy that's like four-week contracts, okay. and it's all the Rose and the Louise are all women who've played the same role in different productions. So it would be like LaShawn's and Haley Kilgore, or it would be like, oh. it would, oh. right? Right? Leia Salonga and, and Ava Novozada. Exactly. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Wow. Wouldn't that be fun? Okay, can I do my stock on SJB now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, no, no. It's all good. I'm glad we took that detour. <clears throat> so, the song begins, and we get what I would like to think is the performance of I Dreamed a Dream that Stephanie J. Block would give if she was playing the role of Fontaine, which, by the way, why did she never? I mean, she would be... So imagine, imagine... You let your form in send me away. <laughs> like, I've imagined it. How fucking good would she be on, um, is it true there's a child and the child is my, my daughter. daughter? And her father abandoned us, leaving us flat. Now she lives with a naked man and his wife. the child was the matter with that. <laughs> so good. Uh, mm, mm, so okay, good. Anyway. Okay, anyways. So she sings the first four lines and then Leia Salonga sings the the second four lines. So Stephanie J. Block sings the line, I dreamed that God would be forgiving. And I know she's not like playing the role in this moment, but the way she puts emphasis on the word God is 
really, really nice. Like it's like a really nice choice and it like tells you a lot about the character, not that she's playing the part. Mm -hmm. And then Leia Salonga comes in and introduces us to like the pop version of I Dreamed a Dream. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how is this going to balance? You know what I mean? I was very intrigued. Leia Salonga sings, but the tigers come at night. And Stephanie J. Block, our score alphabet, comes in with these Celine Dion ad-libs. They are so... Yes. So Leah goes like, but the tigers come at night. And then Stephanie goes, but the tigers come at night. It's so good. And so then it's like, hello, welcome to the stage, Stephanie J. Block. And she gives a different kind of performance than I have often seen from her. I was going to say, that doesn't sound like SJB. I love it. So then Quincy, as they turn your dream to aim, Stephanie is up a third. So she ends that climb on like the highest note I have ever heard a woman belt. And then they cross across the stage and she literally goes like this as she's crossing. Like she's fucking Rocky in a boxing ring. Like she literally looks like such a badass walking across the stage. Then she sings, um, but there are dreams that cannot be and there are storms we cannot weather into a full symphony choir singing backup. It's such a rousing, triumphant rendition of one of the saddest songs ever written. Wait, I have to see this. (laughs) I would highly recommend it to everybody. Another great episode of Summer with Sandman. It's really, we're, we're killing it, Quince. Um, okay, just keep on coming. Happy, happy July. We'll see you in August. Happy July. Please rate and review us on Apple Ooh, yeah. Podcasts. Tell your friends. Yeah, you did a really good job last time we asked, so keep it up. It's beneficial for the podcast, but also just helps us feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. Thanks to Julia DeMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com. Or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. That's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. Audra McDonald and Lindsay Mendez. (laughs) Bernadette Peters and Vanessa Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you said Adina and Lindsay Pierce? (laughs) Come on, Revival Alphabet. Oh my God, that's funny, Quincy.